0: And if you would, would you turn uh, in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. That is in the pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one nearby. In the back of the pew, in front of you, you'll find one. It's page 1014. Okay, so you can just go there quickly or power it up on your phone. Whatever way you'd like to do it, if you could find it, that would be great. 1 Peter chapter 1. And uh, as you're doing that, let me just uh, again uh, uh, echo Mazin's wish for all of you to, for a happy Thanksgiving. It's uh, hard to believe that it is Thanksgiving already, but uh, it is, it's here, and uh, we can be grateful certainly for another day in the Lord, another day to worship Him together, another opportunity to hear from Him and then to respond uh, with in, in His strength and according to His will. 1 Peter chapter 1 and uh, we're going to begin this morning at verse 3 and before we read the text I just wanted to sort of share this with you. I was thinking of uh, of this passage that we're about to look at and I was reminded of a friend of our church. His name is Ron Hughes. Many of you know Ron. I think actually some of you are sort of related to him. Uh, uh, Ron Hughes is a good friend of our church. He's the president of Family Bible Hour International and a, a few years ago he wrote a book entitled. Living at the end of the rope. Now, if you, you know what it is to be at the end of your rope, it's uh, it's sort of an, an idiom that we we have that that talks about it's that idea of somebody who's they're just sort of hanging on, you know they're under a lot of duress, they're under a lot of pressure, uh, they're going through a real tough time, and they feel like they're just just barely able to keep going, like if if my sanity is a rope, I'm hanging on to the very end of it. Okay, that's the idea. Of being at the end of your rope now his the title of his book is living at the end of the rope and the subtitle is going on when things aren't getting better I think it's a it's a real gift to the church what he's done in this book because he he addresses a subject that we probably don't address enough and that is how to live how to handle it when things in life are not getting better. So for example, some of the chapters that he, in his book, he he writes about uh, uh, going on with deteriorating health, going on after divorce, going on after the death of a spouse, going on with a child with major health issues, going on after the death of a child. One chapter features one of our own, Dr. Edwin Ricks, and it's about going on in the face of old age. See, there's there's things in life, there's challenges in life, some of which come and go, right? And we're glad when they go. But some of them don't go. Some of them are, are here to stay. In every case, uh, Ron writes about issues where there's no going back, there's no undoing what's been done, there's no real positive change in sight as far as that circumstance is concerned. And some of you know what that's like, don't you? You know what it's like to be in a situation where uh, uh, things are, are not getting better and they're not going to it's It's going to stay difficult. it's always going to be uh, hard. Some of you you have uh, health issues right now that are are not going to get better, barring a miracle some of you are saddled with desires that you don't want. you can't do anything about it seems. There's some of you that are suffering pain that's just not going away. Things that, are, that, that together are discouraging and draining and crushing at times. So the question is, what, what do you do with that? I mean, how do, you, how do you handle it when you are at the end of the rope and there's, the rope is not going to get longer? If you yourself are not in a situation like this, you probably know somebody who is. It also raises another question. What do you you say to somebody who's in a situation like that? Cheer up? Look on the bright side? Well, that might work on occasion, but it's not going to get them through today. And it sure won't get them through tomorrow. Well, that's why I think, all of this is why I think that 1 Peter chapter 1 is such a treasure for us. Because really what Peter is doing is he's writing to people who are at the end of the rope and who who are in a situation that's very difficult they're suffering for them it seems that that many of them were suffering persecution and hardship and the reality is is it was very hard and when you read first Peter you don't get the sense reading first Peter that Peter thinks things are going to turn around here anytime soon in fact if if I understand the history correctly it seems that they got a lot worse so so what, what do you say to people what do you what do you tell believers in the midst of that kind of duress, of that kind of kind of trouble? What do you what did Peter what did Peter do for these people? Well, when we read First Peter one, we see what it is that he did. He did for them. He he gave them the one thing they needed, the one thing that you need when you're at the end of your rope. He gave them the the only thing that will do. He gave them hope. He gave them hope and that's what I want to do for you today and not only today but also next time as we're studying in first Peter 1 is for you and I to see something of the hope that we have in Jesus even if our circumstance is not likely to change soon there is still real abiding sustaining strengthening hope in God and that's what we want to see in first Peter chapter 1 there's hope Especially in the future salvation that we have in Jesus, and this is what Peter tells them about. Now we're going to read from verses three to nine, but uh, this morning I'm just going to focus on verses three to five. I want to read the whole section just so you can just sort of get a sense of where what he, his whole message. But then we'll just focus on the first part of it and leave the rest, Lord willing, uh, to later. So, First Peter chapter one, verse three. Now remember, he's writing to people who are in a situation that's bad and it's not likely going to get better anytime soon. Notice what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) What a start. Life is rotten. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why, Peter? Why are you so excited? Why are you so happy? Well, he tells us, according to His great mercy... though you have not seen him you love him though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls I almost feel like I don't even have to preach that you catch the drift of what it is he's saying right now is terrible and it's not going to get better anytime soon but one day it is going to get better big time he gives them hope now this morning I'm going to restrain myself and focus on just the first three uh, verses 3, 4 and 5 and we're going to see that for these people who are in persistent trials, persistent troubles, there's, there's no, it seems, you know, human, humanly speaking, there's no end in sight here. It's going to be hard and it's going to stay hard. We're going to see that Peter tells them that there's two things that they are to remember. Two things that we are to remember. And then there's one thing that we're to do. Two things we're to remember. And then one thing we're to do. So in the face of troubles that persist, first thing for you and I to remember is this. Remember what God has done for us. Remember, because we forget sometimes, and we need to be reminded, remember what God has done for us. Now, there's lots and lots of things that God has done for us. What's on Peter's mind is there in verse 3, where he says, notice the middle of the verse. It says, according to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again. That's what God has done for us. He has caused us to be born again. Some of your Bibles will say, "Will say it this way." You say He's given us new birth, and that's a great—that's a great rendering of it of it too. The idea of being having new birth or being born again. What what is that? Well, basically, it's this. It's a supernatural transaction. It's something that God does. It's a change that He makes inside of us whereby God takes you and makes you new. Like, you're still you, but you're new. You're, you're radically changed on the inside. You are, you are born again. In fact, Jesus is the, uh, the first one that I can think of that talked about being born again. And he said, you must be born again. Peter is telling believers, he's reminding them, you are born again. It's, it's a radical change on the inside where God, he does some things for you. Uh, but think, think of it this way all of us all of us have been born correct at some point right if you were not born we we would love to buy you coffee to find out how you came to be all right but we were we were all born for me i was born at 243 bellevue street in peterborough no that's not a hospital it was my parents home at the time And uh, a month prior to my due date, my mother was getting ready for church, and all of a sudden her water broke, and here I came into the world. Fortunately, our family doctor lived directly across the street. She called him, he came over, delivered me right in my parents' bedroom, and there I was. And uh, and the world's never been the same since, (laughs) right? you got a birth story too. Some of you were born in your home. Some of you were born, lots of you were probably born in a hospital. Maybe you were born in somewhere else. Who knows, in a bus, in a car. I don't know where you were born, but you were born. And all of us were born once physically. Believers in Jesus are born again spiritually. Not that we've gone back inside our mother's womb, which Jesus clarified for Nicodemus. That's not what he's talking about it's not something that people cause to happen like with your first birth it's something that God has caused to to happen your second birth your spiritual birth now having this spiritual birth entails involves at least two things at least two things for you first of all when you have new birth you have a new start with God a new start with God Jesus in John 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus about being born again he said unless one is born of water he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven and that's a puzzling verse but I think what Jesus means is this is that, is that just as water is used to purify and we see that throughout the scripture just as water is used to purify uh, uh, f- physically there is a kind of water that you need to be purified with spiritually it's through the death of Jesus and that when you are born again, you have when that happens, you've got there's a purification that's happened when you become a believer in Jesus Christ. There is this forgiveness of your sins. All of us are stained by sin. But when you have new birth, you've got a purification from sin. You've got your past is forgiven, you're cleansed, you're washed clean. You've got a clean slate, right? You know what a clean slate is. We talk about that. It means we've wiped it clean. So whatever the record was before, whatever my faults and failures failures god takes his great his great dry eraser eraser and erases the board and it's clean now you've got a new start and jesus keeps it clean as you trust in him so you've got a new start okay so i mean god knows all about the old you but he says starting today when you trust in jesus when you're born again we're starting new so when you're born again you've got a new start a new start with God. The second thing is that we get a new heart, a new heart from God. So you get a new start with God, and then you get a new heart from God, all at the same moment. Sorry, I clap, just get your attention. Just that's just it's it's like, well, when does this happen? Was this a process? Like, was it over a weekend? No, it's in a moment. It happens. And you believe on Jesus. When we talk about having a new heart, that's the newness on in the inside. God, uh, Ezekiel prophesied about this when he talked about uh, the, the people with hard hearts. He said that God would remove their heart of stone, a hard heart that's just not malleable. I'm not listening to the Lord. I don't care what God says. I'm doing my own thing. I'm for God if He's for me, but if He's not for me, then I'm over here. He takes that hard heart and gives to us a heart of flesh, Ezekiel says. It's a soft heart. It's a supple heart. Of course, it's not a physical heart. If you've got a hard heart, like a rock, you're, you're not with us anymore. But if you got a, right, but we're talking about a spiritual heart, you're new on the inside. In other words, there was a time in which you didn't care about the Lord, but now you do. You do, don't you? It, there was a time in which you, you disobeyed the Lord, and I mean, maybe it bothered you, but it didn't really bother you. But now it bothers you. You, you, don't, you don't want, in fact, you want something you didn't want before. You want to honor Him. You want to please Him because you love Him. This is, this is what it is to be born again. You got a new start and a new heart. And as you and I face battles and struggles in our lives, what Peter begins with is the reminder of the fact of what God has already, uh, what God has already done for you. What he's done for you is in all of your losses in life, and I don't know how your week's been, but maybe you just put, you know what? This was a losing week. Do you know what? If you were born again, you always have a winning week because the Lord has won for you the greatest battle of all, the battle for your heart. He's made you new. He has done something for you that you could never do for yourself, and that's to change. And you're not, you know, we've, we've said it many times, Right? I'm not what I could be, I'm not what I should be, but I'm not what I was, because I've been born again, and many of you have too, and Peter says, remember this, listen, God in his great mercy, you didn't deserve this, he didn't feel like he owed you anything, you're not entitled, it's because of God's great mercy, it was in the heart of God because of his compassion, he came and he fixed you and He's still beautifying you and making you more and more like Jesus, but you've got a a new start, and you've got a a new heart from God. Remember what it is He's done for you. He's given you the power to change, and He is changing you. He's changing you from the inside out. So that's the first thing, so remember that. Remember that you you are born again. Now notice what Peter says in verse 3. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter starts by talking to us about what God has done for us. There's a reminder here. Remember what God has done for you. But there's also, secondly now, a reminder of what god has given to you and that's the second thing so not only do, should we remember what god has done for us but also secondly remember what god has given us what he's given to us and and peter here tells us that there's three things that the lord has given us the first is he's given us living hope see that in the verse there do you see verse three so according to his great verse he's caused us to be born again so that's the new you But I'm born again into something. When you're born the first time, you're born into the world and into your family and for better or for worse. And you're born into, you know, into your culture. But when you're born spiritually, you're born into some some glorious other things. And the first thing he says is you're born into a living hope. A living hope. Now, you, you might wonder, well, why is it living hope? Well, because... One, you're born. You're born anew. So you're alive now to God. Before, the Bible says before, actually you were dead to God. You maybe didn't realize that, but y- you were. Because you, you didn't love him. You didn't treat him like God. But now you do a lot more than you ever did before. And and you you so you're alive to him. And also, you are raised with Jesus and have the promise of resurrection in the end. That's why he says in verse 3, According to his great mercy, he's caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, you've got a living hope because even, Jesus says, even though you die, yet you shall live. Now, what is he talking about? Was he, like, he must have been super tired that day. Like, that doesn't even make sense. Even though you die, yet you shall live. What, like, live on in our hearts? Like, we'll make, we'll, we'll just sort of have happy memories of you and keep you alive? Well, we can do that. But that's not what Peter's talking about. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the fact of your future resurrection. When they lower you into the ground or tuck you away on top of the mantelpiece or whatever it is they do with you in the end, that will be, as we say, your resting place. There's coming a day when you will be raised and you will be given a new body that will never die again and you will be with the Lord forever in heaven. You say, how is that possible? Because all things are possible with God. I don't know how he'll do it. He says he'll do it. Who would have thought that Jesus would have raised up from the dead, but he did it. And just as he was raised, you also will be raised. Now you see why Peter calls it a living hope. Because you're alive now, and you're going to be alive forever. Now that's hope. You got a better story for me than that? That even though you die, yet you shall live. This is awesome. This is a, a living, a living hope. No wonder the Bible calls death for believers sleep. Because, I mean, we know we're not just sleeping, but really actually you are. Because one day you're going to awake and you're going to be a whole lot better before you, than before you went to sleep in the Lord. That's a living hope. Now, just to be clear, living hope is not just optimism. Okay? I love optimistic people. I need more of them in my life, right because to help me out of my pessimism. Um, but there's lots of optimistic people. You might be if you're a gardener, you're probably an optimist because when you planted your garden back in the spring, you were optimistic that you'd have whatever it is you're hopefully eating right now and you're, or maybe you've already heavied, and maybe you got a few tomatoes. Somebody was telling me this week they got they planted a tomato uh, a tomato plant tomato plant or is it bush plant Sorry, I'm a gardener can you tell uh, a tomato plant and they got one tomato on that <laughs> and somebody else ate it like oh that's too bad but you know what you planted that garden you're, you're optimistic about the outcome you didn't know for sure for sure what was going to happen because the blasted squirrels come along and dig it up and plant it who knows where right or the or the frost comes when you weren't expecting it, or there's there's bugs that come and eat it, or maybe it's just bad seeds or something like that, or your husband ran over with the lawnmower, whatever happened, right? You were optimistic, but you didn't know for sure. Living hope is knowing for sure. It's 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 an it's an assured thing. It's a it's a certain thing. Living hope is not positive thinking. I mean, it is a positive thought, but it's not just positive thinking, trying to think positively. We should think positively more than we do. But living hope is more than just looking on the bright side, it's the reality of a bright side that is real and true and coming. Living hope is not just wishful thinking, right? I really hope this is the year the Leafs win the cup. I hope that. But if I'm honest, I really don't think they're ever going to win the cup in my lifetime. I don't know who just said that, but I'm not sure how I feel about you right now. It's okay. <laughs> You'd be surprised, but I shouldn't have mentioned that. It started some tension in the room here. We got some hockey fans in the room. No, oh, it's good. I love the love the competition. Uh, uh, we, there's a wishfulness that we often say we hope. Right? I hope that my team will win. I hope. That's not living hope. Living hope. It's is not a hope. So hope. It's a no, so, hope. I know what's going to happen. Well, why should, How do I know what's happened? Because Christ has already risen. If he's already done it in history. He's showing you, here's what's going to happen with you in the future. We are raised with Christ now to spiritual life and we'll be raised with Him in the end. It's based on what God has done and on the faithfulness of God and the ability of God uh, to, to do it. So He's given to us living hope. Loved ones, you've got this. You may not feel very hopeful today, but He has given you every reason to be optimistic for real because of Jesus. He's given to us a living hope. So in the midst of our trial, in the midst of that problem, that's not getting better, that may not go away anytime soon, I still have hope in the day when all things will be set right, and my wounds will be healed, and my losses will be restored, and I will be with the Lord and be joyful forever and ever, and no one and nothing can change that. That is hope. Do you have that hope? Do you need that hope? You can have it in Jesus. When you trust in Him, We look away from yourself, stop hoping in yourself and in your circumstances. It's not going to go much better. And hope in Jesus, the one who secures it. So that's what God has given us. He's given us a living hope. That's not all He's given. I mean, that's all He gave us. That would be awesome on its own. But Peter tells us another thing. He's given us not only a living hope, He's also given us an inheritance That is secure. Do you see that in verse 4? So we're born again. He tells us in verse 3, to a living hope, and now verse 4, also, to an inheritance that is, notice, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Now it just occurs to me, that description there, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, uh, describes nothing in this world that i can set my eyes on because everything somehow some way wastes away perhaps you yourself or you know somebody who's received an inheritance and the inheritance is not what it once was it's gone it's it's lost maybe it was taken you know jesus said in matthew 6 he said this do not lay up for yourselves Treasures on earth. She's talking about stuff and putting all your hopes and all all of your joy in things that you accumulate and accomplish in this world. He says, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy." Think about this: is Jesus? It's the wonder, the wonder of the incarnation that God took on flesh. And here's Jesus. He knows what this world is like. He had some clothes that got wrecked by stuff, by moths eating it. Or perhaps for you it was ketchup spilling on it or something. I don't know. He knew what happened to his parents' Buick. They had it undercoated every year and it still rusted out in the end. Of course, they didn't really have a Buick, but you understand what I mean. He knew that there's nothing really permanent in this world. So don't put your hopes there. Don't, don't invest there. Invest instead in heaven. Well, what's different about heaven? Well, because in heaven, there are no moths to destroy, and there is no rust to corrode. And there's no thieves that break in and steal. Ever had something stolen from you? Isn't it infuriating? It happens in this world. But it won't happen in God's kingdom with the treasures that you store up there. So now, what's the point here? Well, the point is that you have an inheritance that's secure. And where Peter says here, to an inheritance that is imperishable, he's talking about something that won't decay, it won't rot away. When he talks about an inheritance that's undefiled, he talks about something that will never be ruined when he talks about an inheritance that's unfading, it will never wither. It will always, always hold its value. The inheritance he's talking about is he's talking about he's talking about heaven, and all that God has for me there. And God has much for us there. He has eternal rewards. Uh, Paul called it the crown of righteousness. The, the, what the point that Peter's making here is that you and I, uh, we have an inheritance that's secure for us. And it's it's so no matter how badly this week goes, no matter how many losses you suffer this week, it doesn't affect, it doesn't change, it doesn't reduce your eternal heavenly inheritance it's secure for you see what Peter's trying to do he's trying to encourage you to see look and, look and see what it is that you can't see or that you forget that you've got a living hope you've got an inheritance that's secure and uh, th- the third thing that God gives us he tells us is not only an inheritance that's secure but a salvation that is sure notice verse 5 what he says he says he talks about you So, the last word of verse 4 uh, they talked about this inheritance that's kept in heaven for you And then he says, who, you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You are being, you're being, Peter says, guarded through faith for what? For for a salvation that's going to be revealed in the last time. This Peter's talking about your future salvation. Just to step back for a second, the Bible talks about salvation in four different phases. I'd say four different ways, but I don't want to confuse things. In four different steps. There is, first of all, when you think about salvation, the Bible talks about first of all election. That God God chose us to change us. Remember that from Ephesians? And the wonderful, awesome work of God to call you to himself then the bible talks about justification we have the forgiveness of sins and we're counted righteousness we're counted righteous this is salvation lots of times we talk about somebody getting saved or somebody when when i got saved we're talking about the time when we put our trust in jesus and we knew in that moment we're forgiven i'm born again i'm forgiven that's my salvation so i've got election i've got justification then we've got sanctification that's where many of you are at today it's sometimes the bible talks about salvation in terms of your ongoing salvation that you have in the lord and he's working in you to change you and make you more and more like jesus and that's that's what's happening right now so the bible talks about election justification sanctification he's changing me but then lots of times i think more than we realize lots of times the bible talks about our salvation in terms of our future salvation theologians call that glorification it's that time when you'll get that new body, fit for eternity. When you will be with the Lord Jesus in heaven forever. Your glorification—that's your future salvation. So we've got we've got uh, we've got election, justification, sanctification, glorification. Now, quiz question: You ready for a quiz? So in verse um, in verse five, when Peter talks about a salvation ready to be revealed the last time what phase what part of salvation is he talking about he's talking about election no no because he's talking about justification no although that's awesome that we have that right is he talking about sanctification no he hopes to sanctify them through his writing but is he talking about glorification yes he's talking about the end a future salvation that's going to be revealed in the end when you're in heaven with Jesus in the end notice he says he says it's being guarded you ever seen something being guarded like maybe at Buckingham Palace, if you've been there, you see the guards out there, you wave in their face, they don't move or anything like that. That's right. I'd pay anything to just see them pop somebody in the nose It does that sometimes. But anyway, they're, they're guarding. On two occasions in my life, I was thinking about this this week, on two occasions in my life, I've seen firsthand presidential motorcades, where a, a, whoever the sitting president was at the time is in a limousine, but they're flanked by vehicles, motorcycles, suburbans and I'm told that the limousine itself is heavily armored so that the person inside it is is safe and secure They're being they're being guarded it's like if you're gonna get to that person you're gonna have to go through a lot of guards and and that's that the whole idea of, of being guarded and kept that's the idea that Paul has here you are being guarded only who's guarding you is it motorcycle cops is it is it? are you guarded by by plated armor no you're guarded by who loved ones by God. Notice do you see that in the page? Only three of you gave the answer here. Who by God's power are being guarded. Who's guarding you, loved one? God is guarding you by his power. Now that's pretty strong, isn't it? And what's he and this power? What's this power working on? Well, I think that Peter's indicating here it's working on our faith. Notice he says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, because faith is what connects us to the Lord it's the channel by which we receive the Lord it's it's what it's what we it's the condition for our relationship with him that we trust him but sometimes our faith is weak isn't it how do, how do I know how do I know that tomorrow when I wake up I'll still be believing how do I know about by this time next Sunday that I'll still be trusting the Lord well, there's a sense in which on my own, I don't know that. Except for, I have the confidence that my faith does not hinge merely on me and my own volition to trust, but on God's power to strengthen me. The only way I know that I'm going to wake up a Christian any day in my life is because God will keep me. And he works in your life to embolden and strengthen your faith. In fact, next part of this passage, we'll see that more. that's, that's for the next message. They think of it this way. Uh, I think it was a couple summers ago we did something as a family that we'd never really done. And that is, we went out on the lake and went fishing. I'm not a fisherman. I lived in the country for seven years, just never could get into fishing. There's just something about just sitting there, just sitting there. Nothing ever happened, I don't ever catch anything. Just something about just sitting there that just seems to be next to just doing a puzzle, which I couldn't, if you want to torture me, make me do a puzzle. Okay. Some of you love puzzles, I'm not saying anything bad about it. It's just that's just not me. I just I just don't don't like doing that. Now I'll sit and watch hockey, right? Where some of you're like, "Well, there's a waste of your life." I I know. I know. We've all got our we've all got our problems, right? We're all damaged goods, the dents are in just different places. That's just the reality. So here we are. We we'll, we'll give this thing a fishing whirl. We'll give it a try. Do you know something? There is actually something quite satisfying about throwing that thing out there and reeling it in and zzz, there is something i'm like oh, i can sort of see that well then something happened that flummoxed the whole day and that is one of my family members caught a fish well now you got to deal with this right and, Hey, we got a fish and we got a picture and now who's so who's gonna get the fish unhooked because we're gonna throw them back and so who's gonna get the fish unhooked well that's dad's job right now dad dad don't fish okay so i don't know Everybody in my family believes I know what I'm doing because I'm dad, but I, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, the fish, now those of you who are, who are fishing people, the hook, the fish had swallowed the hook. Oh, see, see, I didn't know. I didn't know that was bad. I didn't. And I tried, I was trying to help this poor fish, and, uh, and we have a couple members of my family, they're, they're big animal lovers, we're conservationists, and uh, there's real concern here about the health and well-being of this fish, and I was asked a question. What's going to happen? Is he going to be okay? And I made the stupidest mistake a father could ever make. I promised something I couldn't guarantee. I said, oh, he'll be all right. He'll be all right. Well, he wasn't all right. I'm sad to say that we named him. His name is Rusty. <clears throat> I'm very sorry to tell you that old Rusty did not make it. After the fact, one of my family members was quite upset about this and he said this he said you know what the worst part is dad I said what son the worst part is that you said he'd be okay (laughs) so I came home with an F on my report card being a father well the reality is there's lots of things that I want to be okay that I wish would be okay but I can't guarantee you're going to be okay because I am not powerful enough to make everything okay. Now, loved one, followers of Jesus, those who are trusting in Him today, aren't you glad that it doesn't ultimately depend on you? Because my guess is you've had a few F's in your life with your faith. And the Lord is the one who's faithful. The Lord is the one who strengthens. And so what do we do? Do we we just sit back? No, the Bible does not picture a a Christian being passive. The Bible pictures a Christian being fervent in faith. And so we lean on the Lord. We we trust Him. Lord, keep me. Keep me close to you. Strengthen me, Lord. I need you. And that's why we need people praying for us too. But, But the thing is, at the end of the day, it doesn't decisively depend on me. I trust God dependently, but He works decisively by His power to strengthen my faith so that I'll keep on believing. Now I know that that's, we're out in the deep end, I understand. But I want you to understand what Peter's saying. Is that what the Lord has given to us, He's given to us a living hope, he's, he's given to us an inheritance that's secure, and He's given to us a salvation that is sure. Because it depends on Him, and not finally on me. So loved ones, we can rest in Him. We don't sit back and go on a vacation. Christians don't do that. Vacations are okay. A spiritual vacation, I mean. We, but we, we trust Him. But we trust Him. We trust Him. And that's the point. That's what Peter is saying here. Now remember, he's reminding us of what God has done for us and what God has given us. And He's given us much. And these are the things he wants us to remember. It comes out of, why does he want us to remember it? Because it comes from his great mercy. He wants us to see the goodness of God. He wants us to see the mercy of God. He wants us to remember what we have from God. What he's done for us, what he's given for us. He's giving us hope. Hope not in our situation. Hope not in ourselves, but hope in God and refreshing and renewing uh, our hope. So that's that's what he's done. This is what he is he's given. He's given us those three things, a living hope, an inheritance uh, that's secure, a salvation that's sure. Now finally, I said there's two things that we're to remember and there's one thing that we're to do. And the one thing we're to do, we've actually already seen it. It came at the beginning of the passage, but I skipped over it in order to come back to it. So two things we remember, what God has done for us, He's given us new birth. He's he's caused us to be born again. What God has given us, living hope, an inheritance, and a salvation, a future salvation. Now what are we to do? Well, it's there in verse 3. Look at verse 3, the beginning of the sentence. Notice what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This whole section that we're reading in 1 Peter is a call to worship. It's a call to worship. Peter is calling on his readers to worship God. And then he tells them why they should worship God. Points to his great mercy. And because of his great mercy, what he's, what he's done for us and what he's given to us. So we should we should worship him. So Peter is writing here a call to worship. And he's saying, he's saying, Worship God. Worship him. And here's why. Look what he's done for you. Look what he's given you. Look at his great mercy. When you see his great mercy to you, oh church, you ought to say, Bless the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, bless him. Oh, exalt in him. Oh, worship him. God, you are so good to me. That's what Peter's after here. And that's the response that he's looking for. You see, when we're in the midst of a situation that is hard, when we're in the midst of trials, even trials that there seems to be no end in sight, what we're to do is we're to remember God, remember Him. And then to respond to God's goodness with worship. Respond to God's goodness with worship. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The trouble with trials is that when we're in the middle of them, worship is often the last thing we feel like doing. Because we're hurting. And sometimes if we're honest, we're angry. We find ourselves, I believe, sinfully blaming God for our situation. Forgetting His goodness. And forgetting the hope that we have. Because of Jesus and in Jesus trouble with trials is we often just don't feel like worshiping when we're hurting. But what Peter shows us here is that there is worship to be given in the midst of the war. That there's, there's praise to be given in the midst of your pain. That there's honor to be bestowed on the Lord when you are hurting. We're to sing unto the Lord. I think singing is one of the best ways that we worship God. It's not the only way, but it's one of the best ways because... We, we say things that are true, but when we sing, there's emotion with it, there's feeling with it, and it moves us, it ministers to us. In those seasons, loved ones, when we're troubled, not only on the outside, but also troubled on the inside with the turmoil and the concern and the worry and the grief and the longing. So often there's silence there and we close up. But what Peter is doing here is he's moving his readers. And with my heart today is to move you not away from the Lord, which in our flesh we tend to do, but to move toward the Lord, which is exactly what we need. It's to be near to him, to worship him. When we worship God in the hard places, when we worship God in the dark times, we're doing at least four important things. First of all, we're putting our focus where it needs to go. Right, when things are going bad for me, I don't know about you, but I just get wrapped up in the problem. And the problem becomes bigger and bigger. It turns into this big sumo wrestler in my life that threatened and squish me. And sometimes I forget that my God is a lot bigger than the sumo. And when I worship Him, I'm, I'm doing what the Lord says to do. Be still and know that I am God, he told the psalmist. When I worship Him, I refocus on Him. I remember who He is. And I remember, I'm remembering what it is He's done for me. What it is He's given to me. And I'm reminded that whatever the reason is for my pain, it's not that He doesn't care because He's demonstrated to me that He cares for me. And when I look to Him and I worship Him, I'm reminded of His awesome power and His majesty. And that in the end, and He will get me through to the end, in the end, joy comes in the morning. This is what happens when I worship God. It gets my focus where it needs to be. The second thing that worship does when we worship when we're hurting is we we are intentionally keeping our hearts tender. Sometimes when we are hurting and we 've been hurting long enough and hurting in enough different ways, our hearts become calloused don 't they it 's like it 's like the callous maybe you have in your body, but you know maybe on your hands because they 've been you work with your hands and over time they got tough and you don't, you don 't feel as uh, like other people do in those fingers, or maybe it 's your feet mine it 's if you really want to know it 's my feet my, when God, when I was born something uh, i don 't know that God designed my feet uniquely, and so every shoe I wear. There's, there's always a callus there. And you can touch the end of that. I can barely feel it. And I know that's disgusting, but its I, I'm trying. The reality is, is that this kind of thing happens with our hearts. You hurt long enough, we start to get and We start to get hardened and we start to get bitter. But when we worship, we break through the calloused heart. And we say, even though I don't feel like worshiping, I'll worship still. And as we do it, as we draw near to the Lord, you can testify, can't you, that as we draw near to him, something happens to our hearts. Our hearts are, are tenderized. And we're, yeah, we are encouraged, but maybe we're just broken more, but we're hopeful in our brokenness. Like we weren't before we worshiped. I don't want to become bitter in life's hard times. And so what do I do? I'm going to worship. And that's, I think that's why Peter tells these people to worship because it's so important so, so we, we're, we're putting our focus where it needs to go we're keeping our hearts tender third, third thing we're doing when we're worshiping even when it hurts is we are strengthening others we're strengthening others Paul says Ephesians 5 which we heard a couple weeks ago be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melodies of the Lord with your heart Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. I love that addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now I don't think I don't think Paul envisions like a big old musical in the church lobby, right? That we just sing to each other. Good morning, how are you today? I don't think that's at all we talk about. That doesn't that just drives people away. I think really that's just weird. But what do we do? He's talking about just like what we did this morning, as you were singing. I'm being encouraged at hearing your voices. I'm not the only one who feels this way about the Lord. And even when I don't feel much, hearing your voices and hearing you sing, it's a great thing to sit down near the front because your voices just sort of cascade over my balding head. And sometimes my hurting heart is comforted. And maybe even my angry heart is soothed. Something happens when people worship together. And I think that's important. Finally, uh, and I realize this isn't on the screen, but this is uh, really important. I think the other reason, when when we worship, it's important to worship, because we're putting our focus where it needs to go, we're keeping our hearts tender, we're strengthening one another. But the fourth thing, and and maybe for some of you today, the biggest thing, when we worship, when we are hurting, we are wielding a weapon of spiritual warfare. When you worship God, when you even don't feel like it, it is like a bold, faith-filled act of defiance in the face of an enemy who wants to ruin you. When you are hurting and you stand and sing or maybe on your own, just like I did last night at my desk, all by myself, it's great to worship when you're all alone. You just let it go. And as you worship the Lord, as you sing to Him from your heart, it is a bold, bold, act of defiance in the face of an enemy. It says really you can lash out at me and as much as God gives you leash you can hurt me but my God is greater still and I trust him and more than that I love him and you may have today and you may have tomorrow but Jesus has still risen from the dead and he is still at the right hand of the father and I am still guarded as his child and He will bring me safely home. And one day, he will crush the enemy underneath my feet. And so when we sing, it's an act of defiance in the face of an enemy. That's what, that's what Paul and Silas did. Remember the story of Acts 16? Paul and Silas, two, two people had a boy, a terrible day in ministry. They got beaten up and put in prison. And there they were in prison, bloodied, beaten, humiliated. The Bible says this. It says, At midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And then it says, And the prisoners were listening to them. It's likely that some of you today don't feel like worshiping the Lord, but in the face of your troubles, when you sing anyway, you're doing just like Paul and Silas did. You're bearing witness to the, the great glory of God. And really, in some ways, I wonder if some of the sweetest songs that we'll ever sing will be the ones that we didn't feel like singing when we sing unto the Lord. When I praise Him, I'm openly declaring that I don't rejoice in my circumstances, but I do rejoice in the Lord. When I worship the Lord, I'm openly declaring I may be afflicted, but I am not crushed. I may be perplexed, but I am not driven to despair. I may be persecuted, but I am not forsaken. I may be struck down, but I am not, and I will not ever be destroyed. And we may look like death, and we may feel like death, but we are, in worshiping, manifesting the life of Jesus in our bodies when we worship. And so really, as I close this morning, that's what I want to do, is I want to call you to worship. I'm going to ask the team to come forward, and as they do so i just want to take a moment and if you would be willing to would you would you bow your head right where you are and it's just as a means of i just want to give you an opportunity just you between you and the lord to reflect on what it is that we've seen here each of you have come with your own situation your own challenges some of you got problems that you already know they may not they may not be getting better. Perhaps you're here today wondering if they ever will get better. you don't know. Or maybe it's just a big pile of worries and troubles and cares where you just feel it's just incredibly dark and you feel incredibly distant from the Lord. I want to ask you this morning by faith with him strengthening you will you still offer him praise will you still believe in him and in his mercy toward you will you still rejoice in him because of what he's done for you And what he's given to you. And all the promises that he's guaranteed to you.